Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Reclaimed. This is a podcast that's, that's called Critically Reclaimed. My name is William Bibiani. <laughs> I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. We need a better catchphrase or slogan for this podcast. I thought our, I thought our catchphrase was that we didn't have one for this one. We didn't. The, uh, the premise of this podcast is uh, with so many streaming options out there in the world, we figured uh, we would explore. We uh, haven't seen everything, and we want to see what we can just have ready access to. Classics that we haven't uh, added to our film ver- vernacular yet. So uh, every single episode of Critically Reclaimed, Whitney and I choose a streaming service. We try to choose a different one every single week. Eventually, we cycle back around. Hmm. Uh, and there we, are only so many. There's only so many that we have. Um, but uh, we, we've, we've got a fair share. And uh, we each pick two films from that streaming service that one or both of us haven't seen. That's right. And then we put that on a poll on our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. And then all of our patrons, even the $1 a month patrons, get to vote for which film we're going to review on the next episode of Critically Reclaimed. Uh, This episode, we were focusing on musicals on Amazon Prime. That's right. Of which there were quite a few classic musicals available, actually. Prime has uh, a surprisingly good number of classic films. They're they're really good for a lot of cult stuff, Mm -hmm. like genre pictures and really weird, freaky horror movies. Um, Of the streaming services that you just have Mm. just sort of a random assortment, the ones that aren't run by like a single studio... Mm. Prime is pretty well cur- not curated, but well, just they have a pretty large selection. Well, especially if you consider that they're the movies that come with no additional cost mm. when you subscribe to Prime. But there's also a lot of movies that, like, okay, well, we don't have this, but for three dollars you can rent it, mm. or for ten dollars you can buy it, or whatever. And, so, like, and you will have access some, to a lot of doing pretty yeah, gigantic library one way or another. There, it's a pretty Byzantine process as to why you have access to some and not others. Yeah, too much to get into right now. But we did look at uh, musicals, and we chose some classics. Uh, pretty from, much all from the fifties and sixties. Yeah, uh, amongst the amongst the films that did not get picked mm. uh, were the Frank Sinatra musical Pal Joey, uh, which apparently had a very it was changed quite a bit from stage to screen. Uh, there was the Elvis Presley musical Blue Hawaii. And uh, there was also the Doris Day musical The Pajama Game. Uh, which is, Pal Joey was directed on Broadway by the co-director of the film we're talking about. Ooh. And The Pajama Game was also directed by the director of the film we're talking about. So, And that was complete coincidence. Yeah. Well, people, uh, some people just have a niche, don't they? Yeah. In any I'm, case... I'm, I'm talking about George Abbott, by the way, the director. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and what we're talking about today is a film uh, that just... Just really hates Yankees. Just just hates their ever-loving guts. Just, just damn them. Damn them. According to the musical, Damn Yankees. I didn't know the premise of Dan, Damn Yankees. Going you didn't even in. know the premise? No. Oh, wow. I, I knew it was a musical. That must have been weird. I, I knew baseball players were involved. I didn't think it was about them, though. Oh, this is a musical about baseball players. Baseball players get to sing and dance. That's all you knew. You didn't have any other theories. You never heard any hearsay. No. Did no. you, did you and, know and some of the songs? I, that I, were knew, be in I, it? I, I knew the songs. I knew most of the songs, actually. Okay. Well, and I knew Fosse was involved. Okay. Fosse and Gwen Verdon are involved in this. Um, the premise of Dan Yankees, a Yankees fan 
is yelling at the uh, TV. Uh, a Washington or, Senators me, fan. A Senators fan. A Yankees enemy. <laughs> Hence, damn the, the Yankees. The, the arch enemy of all Yankees. Uh, yeah, yells at them, damn Yankees. You know they wanted to call it fucking Yankees, but <laughs> I don't think they could get away with that That would be Broadway. the porn parody title. <laughs> I guess so. But uh, our, our main character is yelling at the TV. Uh, his long-suffering wife has a song about how every baseball season... She loses her husband mm. to baseball on television. It's a really sad song. She talks about how, like, listen, we met. It was a whirlwind romance. He seemed like the perfect man for me. And then we got married. And then baseball season happened. And that only then did I find out I only have a husband half a year. <laughs> the other yeah, half of the yeah. year, he's either talking about baseball or watching baseball. And she shows no interest in me whatsoever. Um, he's mad because his beloved team can't catch a break. It's his team... A lot of people have a fierce loyalty to their particular sports team based on their family or where they were raised. Uh, and uh, he his team just can't catch a break. And so he finally says... And his team is the Washington Senators who disbanded it as a team shortly after this musical. Whether or not the musical had anything to do with it, I can't say. Who can say? But this is a bizarre thing that we witnessed. Yeah. Uh, and he basically offers to sell his soul... For a chance for that team to actually like win the pennant, mm. and boom, the devil shows up. <laughs> <laughs> well, they call him Mister Applegate, uh-huh. Apple, as in the apple in the Garden of Eden. Oh my god, and, I just uh, got that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Apple Gate of Hell, Applegate. That uh, makes sense and, now. And he's played by Ray Walston from My Favorite Martian. Yeah. Do you think people is... actually know My Favorite Martian anymore? Uh. The Christopher Lloyd movie? I don't even think that. <laughs> Ray Walston's in it. Um, uh, My Favorite Martian was a hit TV series in the 1960s. Yeah. And it was basically one of those shows where um, it's a normal suburban world, except one person who lives in the house is fantastical in some way. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Mr. Ed, everything's fine, except I have a horse and it talks. Alf, everything's fine, except we have an alien living in the house. Uh, and so on and so forth. Bewitched, I Dream of Genie. My Mother the Car. Yeah. There's a million of these. Uh, and uh, his whole thing was he was a Martian visiting Earth. It was basically like Third Rock from the Sun, but there was only one alien. Yeah. 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 Uh, they turned My Favorite Martian into a feature film, which is terrible. Don't seek it out. Uh, mm-hmm. But he was also in uh, numerous uh, high-profile feature films. He was in South Pacific. He was in The Sting. Uh, he, was in, the, uh, he was a teacher in Vast Times Fast at Ridgemont High. Yeah, I think that's, that's right. where a lot of people know him best from. Mm-hmm. In my generation, he was in that great TV miniseries of The Stand. Um... Really great actor, honestly. I'm mm. I'm, a, I'm a fan. Uh, yeah, right. he, he played he played Popeye's dad in the Robert Altman Popeye <laughs> Poop Deck Pappy, <laughs> which is not a name you want to get saddled with if you can avoid it. Poop Deck. I know uh, I know what it actually it's a means. Sailing term. But yeah, I know um, what it actually means, but still, um, you can do better as nicknames go. But Ray Walston, as Satan, says to our main character, his name is Joe. Uh, we need to. Uh, I can. I have an offer for you. Mm. Uh, not only will I, I, I won't make the Washington Senators win. You will, and I'm going to turn you into Tab Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a young, a young virile Tab Hunter. So, uh, so yeah, the turn- only member of the main cast of this who didn't come from the Broadway production. They, mm-hmm. It was one of those things where it's like, okay, yes, yes, fine, we'll get, we'll get this Ray Walston guy, we'll get this Gwen Verdon, whoever mm-hmm. that is. Uh, but we need Tab Hunter to sell mm-hmm. tickets. 
Uh, and it's like, sure. <laughs> T- Tab Hunter is like, he, he was like the teeny bopper teen idol oh, yeah. at the time. Like, t- total stud muffin. He was right up there with Troy Donahue and Doug McClure yeah, my, or uh, Fabian or well, young John Saxon. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah. Um, he, um, a lot of hunky dudes I, in the I, uh, 50s and 60s. I uh, was first introduced to Tab Hunter in the film Polyester, the Which, John Waters film. It's kind of a backwards Whereas, introduction to yeah, Tab like, Hunter. Like he's actually it. like he's a little older in that movie. He's playing against type in that movie. Um, and uh, at that point, I think he had come out. Yeah, uh, he was still still in the closet but when he was making Damn Yankees. Uh, but yeah, he's a to- total young stud, and he is now. Uh, our hero is now inhabiting the body of Tab Hunter, and he's going to audition for the Washington Senators. I know audition is not the, the correct term. Yeah, try, he's uh, going to try out. He's gonna even, try even I out. know that. Come on, he's, he's going to try gonna, out for the Washington Senators, for, and, and he's and it turns out he's just a powerhouse. He can hit home runs. He can he can yeah, catch any gave, ball in Satan the field. Satan gave him all of these powers. Yeah. Now Satan is not com- content to have him just win. He also uh, has this labyrinthine scheme to sort of keep him under his control. Mm-hmm. And so he also, along the way, enlists uh, his servant, this satanic uh, devil woman of his, mm-hmm. who's played by Gwen Verdon. Uh, Gwen Verdon is one of the greatest dancers who has ever lived. Just, just period. period. Yeah. Yeah, there's no, we have no additional information for uh, you there. She's just one of the greats. She won four Tony Awards. She was the title. She uh, she uh, she played the title role in Sweet Charity. She was the original Roxy Hart in Chicago. Mm. Um, she was married to Bob Fosse, who did the musical numbers here, and they have a number mm. together. Just Gwen Verdon and Bob Fosse, right in the middle of this movie. And it, it has nothing to do with anything, but my God, is it hypnotic. It's fucking amazing, and it's the stupidest song you've ever heard. It has nothing to a, do with anything. It's a commercial about burping. Uh, yeah. that, that's the, the song they're dancing the, to, the, and yeah. I'm going to jump ahead to this, because there's really no organic reason mm. to talk about it. There's a point later on in the movie where tab hunter has been successfully you know taking the senators closer and closer to the pennant and he's become this huge huge star this new iconic baseball star that everyone loves and he's got a bunch of fan clubs and there's this whole section of the film where a bunch of his fan clubs are putting on little shows as like a tribute to how great tab hunter is and Gwen Verdon's character, who initially tried to seduce him, bring him over to the dark side, make him not miss his wife anymore, uh, and failed yeah. at doing it. Her, her, be- name is, her name is Lola, and she sings yeah. whatever Lola wants, Lola gets. You, you probably know that song. Yeah, that song's been used a million times, oh, but yeah. at least heard it in commercials by now. Whatever Lola mm. wants. Mm. That's, that's from Damn Yankees. Uh, she has a number with Bob Fosse. Uh, it's, it's called cool. Who's Got the Pain? I don't know why it's called that, but it's basically just them dancing and interrupting their dancing with burping. Mm. I don't get it. I don't understand the context. All I know is they are magical. They are doing magical things with their body that no human being... I understand. It's not like they're contorting in any weird way. It's they're just, just... dancing amazingly well. They're just, you can just see like the, the difference between... Good dancing and great dancing mm. is maybe a little hard to see until you see them back to back. 
So if you just watch like one of the random musical numbers that Gwen Verdon isn't in in this in this movie, you go, oh, they're fine. And then you see Gwen Verdon and Bob Fosse, and you realize like, no, there's a huge difference between <laughs> what they're doing and what everyone else is doing. And once you see that, La La Land becomes a lot worse. <laughs> watch, uh, watch the film version of Chicago. Yeah, uh, Bob Fosse, by the way, who choreographed the original production of Chicago, and yeah. you just said Gwen Verdon was in it. Uh, the film version is a big sack of crap <laughs> in comparison to whatever they were doing on stage. Uh, and you can even see that the chore- choreography is pretty light in that movie. Yeah. It's not really elaborate. And uh, there's a bit where uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones and uh, Renee Zellweger are dancing right next to each other. Yeah, Catherine Zeta-Jones comes from theater. She's actually she's very a trained tra- tra- dancer yeah. and she's very good. At the dancing she's required to do next to Renee Zellweger, who is barely keeping up. Like she yeah. learned the steps. Yeah, she, she's doing the job, but it's not the same thing. No, it's um, not the same thing at all. Just seeing those two next to each other is is uh, a pretty clear contrast to what good dancing is versus what a, what an actual dancer can do. Yeah, um, and the lest we forget while we're talking about this musical, uh, it is also a film about sports. And wouldn't you know it, uh, we're kind of brought to you by a sports podcast. We have a sponsor. Kind of. Uh, It's weird. And we have, and wouldn't you know it, we have an ad read, so why don't we do that? Yeah, Um, Whitney Whitney has volunteered. Whitney was all like gung-ho, like, I want to be an, I want to be a commercial guy. Well, I, I, I'm very fond of like old-timey radio, and back in the day, they didn't cut in a commercial. They had like the actors stop and read the ads. Like, oh, look, we're selling Kleenex. They have a special machine that folds them into the box. Look, I can just keep pulling them out. It's like... This is really boring, but I'm fascinated. Um, <laughs> this ad read is not boring. Uh, yeah, I, I'm here to re- read about Blindsided. Um, the, the Players' Tribune has a mental health podcast called Blindsided about the mental health of athletes. Um, it's hosted by a former NHL goalie mm-hmm. Corey Hirsch and psychiatrist Dr. Diane McIntosh, and it actually has athletes talking about mental health issues that mm-hmm. they have run into in their careers, which I haven't heard it's this a, podcast yet, but I, I love the idea. Yeah, and it's yeah. You know, unique to things athletes uh, yeah. can relate to. So if you're inter- if you're an athlete or you're interested in sports, um, here's the description. Uh, plan your work and work your plan. For many athletes, sayings such as this could be considered scripture, permanent signposts, lining the long road to success in sports. For some, the very act of pursuing a career in sports can give a sense of control, a sense of safety, so long as you stick to the plan. That is, until life happens. The kind of life that happens while you're making other plans. Breakdowns, insecurity, panic attacks, PTSD, addiction, sudden life changes, ones that require an athlete to toss aside their well-laid plans and answer the question, what's your next play? Blindsided is a podcast about sports, Mental health and life. So yeah, that's a new podcast. So um, and, uh, yeah, you can check that out if you want. And you know what? I I have uh, my sister is an athlete, and her husband is also an athlete. Yeah. So you know, this is sort of pertinent and, pertinent to me personally. And I and I have have talked a lot about my mental health struggles, and mm-hmm. I think that any any attempt to sort of normalize conversation about mental health issues, which are too often stigmatized, is at least in theory a good idea. Mm-hmm. So in any case, thank you, blindsided. Uh, but moving back on to Damn Yankee. So again, the plot of the movie is he sells his soul to the devil so he can play win for the, the Washington Senators yeah. and win the pennant away from the Yankees. And if he and he he talks the devil into giving him an escape clause, hmm. which I thought would be a little bit more of like a trick or a gimmick. But he basically just says, eh, if by September 24th, I don't feel like it, I can stop. Yeah. 
And, uh, but if he lasts past that deadline, he's stuck for as long as the devil wants. Yeah. So, um, which is honestly, the devil just has to keep him distracted and, and, and happy long enough to do that. And the devil's ulterior motive here is, of course, he doesn't care about baseball. He wants this guy's soul. So he's yeah. trying to corrupt him and you know tempt him over to the dark side and uh, get him to. And this is a, an important plot point. Get him to leave his wife. Yeah. And the devil has numerous uh, lines of dialogue in this movie about how wives are not to be trusted. Mm-hmm. Like men are ma- easily married, tricked. Married, wives, yeah. on the other hand, Mar- married women uh, yeah. evidently are anathema to Satan. Yeah, Satan. Satan uh, knows th- he can't. No, he can't win over a married woman. Yeah, there's there's no uh, no explanation as to this or yeah. like theology behind. There's it's a, just, it's, he does he he has a, a thing against wives. Yeah, it's a weird which, which seems like I, I don't understand what we're supposed to get out of that. I don't well, even understand the joke really. I, except, I suspect that it's a nagging wife gag. Uh, there but, were so many of those in the but 1950s. How can it be a nagging wife gag? The whole idea is that his wife, by the way, who's a saint and she's a really nice person. Um, the whole idea is that she is immune to Satan's tricks. Doesn't that put her on a pedestal? That doesn't really seem like a nagging wife joke. That seems like a like women are better than all of us joke. But the movie doesn't really know what to do with that. Yeah, now, I've never a... actually seen a production of this in, on theater. It's my understanding that a few changes were made, mostly in that they cut out some of Tab Hunter's songs because mm-hmm. he's Tab Hunter. And that's not really what he does. And it's my understanding <laughs> that those songs were mostly about him pining for his wife. And okay. how he missed her. Yeah. And well, and so they and actually... that's a big part of the movie. Well, they, they, it's a bit of it. He, he misses her, but without those songs, you know, in a musical, songs are used to... They used to do a lot of things. They can just convey exposition. They can just be a showstopper. But more mm-hmm. often than not, in a, in a particularly good musical, I find, or a musical where the songs are fully integrated into the story and not just numbers that are interspersed, um, they're revealing the inner the inner minds. Yeah. Uh, the the things that people might not otherwise say, but they would sing. Uh, without that, our protagonist is kind of a lot of nothing. Honestly, he's just a he. He goes from being kind of a cynical, like fifty year old man, to being just a dope. <laughs> just, 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 just young and easy to trick. Like just, just a, just a, just a, just a dude. <laughs> well, he's he's now he's tab hunter, so he's, yeah. he. A little bit more of a meathead. Um, the the arc of this story is kind of strange, anyway. Very and strange. Uh, everybody gets a song. Uh, the the senators get a song before Tab Hunter shows up. They get, they about get, you've got to have heart. Oh that's, my God. that's a really famous one. It's a famous uh, song, and I I had never seen it performed. It's performed really badly. No, I get that they're like that's supposed it's, to be like it's it's a silly rendition. It's a silly but it's rendition. Fine. I'm okay with the way it's sung. Okay. It's sung with like kind of perfectly off key where like, you know, these guys are like they're baseball players. They're baseball yeah. players. They're not supposed to be the greatest singers ever, but the song is perfectly modulated mm. so that even though they're not supposed to be the best singers, they harmonize in an unexpectedly interesting and comedic way. Yeah, it's a very well written song. I had nothing wrong with the song. The actual choreography, I was like, "Ooh, Bob Fosse is involved with this. What great choreography are we about to have? Mm. And then this is like the first number that isn't just someone like. Like being in sad in a house, yeah. like this isn't just like a one person number. Like this is the first number with like multiple people in it, and it's actually like kind of jovial. And it's just three guys, and like the most choreography they'll do is occasionally like shrug in time. Yeah. And I'm like, is this what we're in for? Because this is not great musical cinema right now. 
It's it's one long take. Uh, this was uh, just adapted from stage. It had debuted on stage just a few years previous. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we're, we're sort of... And this was also a time when a lot of flashy choreography would, wouldn't be expected at the head of a musical. I don't think you, you'd save that for the end. You I know, when you have the, the big dancey, but maybe dancey have a, bit at, at the end. Maybe it could be shot in an interesting way or a... Or a funny and, way, or they, a way, just some they, way, they rather than just singing a... for a little bit, and they have a little bit of exposition, and yeah. you know, there's like a lot of back and forth, and the camera sort of follows them. It goes back to being a film, but the number's not done yet, yeah. and they'll break out again. It's it's fine. It's like a stage production. It's just here's the I deal. Don't, we're I don't three numbers into know this. What you're we're three numbers about. into this movie, uh-huh. and all of the musical numbers for me have been duds. Okay. Like I get it. She's singing about how she misses her husband, and that's a cute song in and of itself. As a starting number, fine. His whole bit, boring as hell. This number, cute song, mm. but it's just presented in kind of a boring, nothing kind of way. But it's a cute song. That's all you ah, need. But I need some <laughs> variety here. Like we've all had, right. we haven't had a lot of visual interest in this movie well, yet, and we unusual, won't until the next number. The only the the unusual thing about uh, Damn Yankees is. Uh, I think musicals and baseball don't mix very well, and when they have uh, baseball players in their like uniforms or the uh-huh. the ball caps and the the they're wearing the big gloves, but they're like soft so they can kind of dance with them. It looks very strange, and they're kicking up dust and they're doing it outside on a baseball diamond. Yeah. It looks really out of place to me. Uh, yes, and, I think uh, I thought that was the joke. That it's that's kind of the gag of the show is that yeah. baseball isn't a thing you would do make a musical about, and after a while it stops being about baseball. Very much, it becomes so. more about you know the battle for Joe's soul. Uh, yeah. So there is we a, there have is... a really wonderful song from Ray Walston mm-hmm. uh, as Satan, who sings about the good old days when everybody would be tortured and and killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sings like there's like verses about you know how great it was when Nero was in charge that kind of thing. We do get that one really big number uh, with a sports writer uh, who's played by uh, who's who plays Gloria as the character. Yeah, uh, Gloria is played by the great Ray Allen, uh, and they have a number about Joe, about uh, mm. Tab Hunter's character. They're coming up with his backstory. Yeah, sort of they're, stuff. basically they're coming, how we're going to sell this guy and. Uh, it's her and the whole Washington Senators team, and they actually get to do some real choreography, some fun stuff, um, and it looks really goofy. Hmm. Good! It's a goofy premise! The dude sold his soul to <laughs> Satan for baseball! It's absurd! Like, what's weird for me is that you would think this would be, like... You would think this would kind of stand out a little bit, but this has actually came out quite a few years after uh, the original Angels in the Outfield. Mm. And I'm actually kind of mad. because Angels in the Outfield came out in 1951. This one came out in, like, what, 58? Mm. Uh, this should have been called The Devil in the Dugout. <laughs> That's a much better title. Come on. Um, well, but you don't, you're going, don't get that nice edge of damn in the title. Fair enough. But the idea is Angels in the Outfield was about a little girl who prayed so hard for her favorite baseball team to win that Angel started helping them win. Mm-hmm. This, is just, this, this is just the opposite. It, this is already kind of a niche subgenre. <laughs> like we're already, this is already, premise-wise, this is almost old hat, if you think about it. Um, but anyway, the devil sends this ringer in to help the Washington Senators. He does great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of wish there had been more funny bits of him, like, I don't know, doing th- like hell things. 
or whatever, like hitting a ball so hard it's on fire. Like you could have done some funny gags. I, I suppose so. Yeah. Well, we we do get plenty of hell imagery though. There is a dance number in, essentially in hell. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we get Ray Walston singing about how how great things are in hell. They get to be evil. Yeah. And uh, one of the story arcs is uh, Lola, the Gwen Verdon character, uh, eventually sort of comes around and. Yeah. When uh, when Joe was turned into Tab Hunter, he, his character changed as well, and it became sort of this pure-hearted, lovable lug. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's like, it's like he the, reclaimed his youthful innocence. I guess so. Yeah. In the introduction, when we see him as like this middle-aged guy, he's just like this old grump. Yeah, he doesn't project anything about purity or yeah. innocence or wanting to do something the right way. He's just an angry baseball fan. Yeah. It's not a lot of character there, but uh, Joe is so pure hearted in the form of tab Hunter that Lola begins sort of drifting away from the land of evil. Well, it's weird because it op- the whole scene where he meets Lola, Ray Walston comes into the, uh, the dressing room, dressing room, locker room, locker room. <laughs> See, it's my turn to get it wrong. We're using theater terms. What? Anyway, kinda. Anyway, he goes to the he goes to the locker room and he brings Lola with him. Mm-hmm. And Lola is Lola's there to seduce him because the dude misses his wife and he's been trying to like mm-hmm. live at his wife's like rent a room at his wife's place. By the way, his wife no idea what happened to her husband. No, none whatsoever. And there, there's even a wonderful bit where uh, like all of. Uh, the other wives in the neighborhood sort of go over to visitors like, oh, I don't know what happened to my husband. And they encourage her to, who I'm not exactly sure what they encourage her to do, but they say, you should finally go and do what you want. And I half expected, well, not really, but kind of wanted her to just grab another one of the wives by the lapels and just kiss her right on the mouth. Right. Make it's the like, most of it. Come on. It's yeah. Like, yeah. My wife's out. Of t- my wife, my, my husband is gone. Well, fuck it. Let's go. <laughs> As far as she knows, he abandoned her. Yeah. Either he's missing and presumed dead or abandoned her. <laughs> Either way, he's been gone how many months? Two? Time to move on. Um, you know, he's a missing person after 48 hours. <laughs> <laughs> and even that's... Two, two months? And even that's bullshit. You can be a missing person before 48 hours. Yeah, well, if, you know, there's le- any re- le- that's the legal... Uh, no, even legally. Like, if there's any reason to suspect foul play okay. at all, then you don't need to wait 48 hours. No. <laughs> you don't just be missing. Um, but, um, in any case, so all Joe, who completely took his wife for granted when he was an old grump is now completely in love with her now that he's a hunky 20 something. Mm. And that's cute. I, maybe the missing songs help this out a little bit because it just feels like all of a sudden now he's got what he always wanted and he misses what he had. Maybe could have been given a bit more depth Mm. because that's actually kind of sweet. But in any case, the devil wants to seduce him and say, "Listen, you're you're a hunky sports star now. Uh-huh. You can have anyone you want. Would you like Gwen Verdon? And here's Gwen Verdon. And Tab Hunter's like, "Oh, hi, Gwen Verdon." And Gwen Verdon, you know, she's playing the sultry temptress, but she's doing the funny version. And when she yeah. does uh, uh, what Lola wants, mm. which by the way was the name of the film in the UK. What, whatever Lola wants. It's just what, what Lola wants was okay. the name of the game. It was the name, and it was when it was released in Britain. I think that's hilarious because right. she's actually she doesn't, she doesn't even show up in the movie until forty five minutes in. She she's the most interesting character, really. Oh, though, easily, yeah. easily, and I I think she's great here. But when she does whatever Lola wants, which is a great song by any measure, it's mm. seductive, it's playful. 
Um, and I'm so used to seeing... I've never seen Gwen Verdon do this. I've never seen a version of Damn Yankees before. I've heard it. Mm. And I've heard many covers. Many of them done for uh, like real genuine sensuality. Gwen Verdon's doing it for comedy. It's a comedy mm. number. It's I didn't com- know it was a comedy number. It's a comedy show. Well, yeah, that's a comedy that's... show, but not every number has to be played for the same level of laughs. You can mm. mix it up a little. Like the scene where... Um, Joe's wife is singing about missing him and she's singing about coming home to an empty chair, which I believe was added for the film because they took out some of the other numbers. Um, But regardless, that's a sad song. There's nothing, there's nothing really hilarious about it. Like the visual premise is kind of quirky, but Mm -hmm. she means it. So you didn't have to make it super wacky. It could have been legitimately kind of sexy, but Gwen Verdon is mincing. (laughs) And she's she's absolutely hilarious in every conceivable. She's stripping, mm. and there's nothing like torrid about it. It's just kind of cute. One of my favorite things is is the comedic stripper. Yeah, um, I I'm involved with sort of a comedic strip troupe as a, yeah. as a result of that. Um, we have uh, we have somebody on our troupe who has this wonderful act where she uh, comes out and strips incredibly badly. Mm. Like she'll roll down her stockings and start to pull them off her foot, and then it, it's too late before she realizes she kept her shoe on, and so she can't get <laughs> she can't get it off all the way. It's funny. It's that funny. kind of stuff is really funny to me. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, G- Gwen Verdon totally catches the eye. Yeah, she really sells a number like that and keeps the tone of the whole thing light. There's not a there's a lot at stake here in yeah. you know, screenwriting terms. Yeah, uh, someone's soul, someone's marriage. Yeah. But it's not heavy or heady. No. And it, it doesn't, you know, it feels like, okay, we're going to come out on the other end of this, okay, because this is a comedy show. And yeah, I don't think, the, no, uh, you don't get the sense it's going to end was, apocalyptically. Yeah, I was, I was kind of yeah. blindsided by how weird this premise is, and it's a pretty weird show. Yeah. I've seen weirder, because I've seen Carousel, but, uh... <laughs> You've, look, also look, seen, look, you've seen Cats, for God's sake. I, I, yeah, I've, I've seen... You've, you ever fu- seen Starlight Express? I have not seen Starlight Express. I haven't either, but I know of it. <laughs> if you don't know what Starlight Express is, hmm. look it up. Imagine Cats with trains. There's an amazing review... I want to see if I can find this. There's an amazing review of Starlight Express. I just want to maybe see if I can, like... Like, from, the, from when it opened? Yeah. It was opened in, like, the, the mid to late 70s. I don't remember when, when yeah. the actual dates on Starlight Express. But, uh... It's an Andrew Lloyd Webber show where, with trains played by actors on roller skates. Like they play trains, okay, anthropomorphic trains. This this is this is the opening pair. I won't read. You the, I won't read you the whole thing. This is the opening paragraph from Frank Rich's review of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Starlight Express mm. from March sixteenth, nineteen eighty seven. Eighty seven. Okay, it was later than I thought. So it's a little later. Um, in a full page program note, the composer Andrew Lloyd Webber modestly explains that he conceived his new musical Starlight Express as an entertainment event for children who love trains. Over two numbing hours later, you may find yourself wondering exactly whose children he has in mind. A confusing jamboree of piercing noise, routine roller skating, misogyny, and Orwellian special effects, Starlight Express is the perfect gift for the kid who has everything except parents. <laughs> Wow, that's a good one. When people say film critics are harsh, oh my god, (laughs) read some theater criticism. Read food criticism. I was about to say, read theater critics, read food critics. Jesus Christ, they can be brutal. (laughs) 
I love that that different media um, attracts different voices of criticism. Uh, you yeah. know, rock criticism is nothing like film criticism. Not really. No. Uh, like, yeah, it's really, just, it, I mean, it is a completely different discipline, but well, yeah, it's like being judged by completely different. You're, standards. you're talking the about is very different. You're talking about different media, but you're speaking to different audiences. Mm-hmm. You're working with different contexts. You're dealing with media that has different histories, mm-hmm. uh, and even though you're using many of this much of the same critical language, you're still arguing like here's what they were going for, and here's how well they we did based on what we know about it um yeah the entire attitude mm. is different depending yeah, for, from medium to medium yeah, uh, that's great but um, going back to my point I, i've seen a lot of strange musicals uh, look up the story for carousel if you don't know what it is mm. uh great songs you know the songs from carousel yeah uh you'll never walk alone is from carousel yeah. um rogers and hammerstein is wonderful but the story about this guy who like has a romance and and then dies and then comes back and meets his teenage daughter like a few moments later like that's all part of carousel right uh, it, and, Don't, it, and then and then it goes straight into logan's run oh uh, sure isn't that part of logan's run carousel is not the big event oh right no i didn't put that together okay that was uh, my joke okay uh, it, it's a good joke it's I a thinker it's a thinker it's a good it's a good joke i just didn't get it it's um, a thinker okay uh but but Damn Yankees. So yeah, I, I'm watching Damn Yankees. I didn't know. I knew there was some baseball involved. I knew Bob Fosse was involved. I didn't know the devil was in it. So I'm I'm kind of getting my bearings. Once I have my bearings, though, I realize that this is just a comedy show. This is a comedy musical, yeah. and I'm a lot more comfortable with it in the back end yeah. because I understand what's going on. And they don't start throwing new weird stuff at you. The premise is set. Mm-hmm. This guy has swapped bodies. He's going to play baseball. The devil wants his soul. And it just plays out that way. It doesn't introduce, like, Mr. Tops in the last act who appears in the sky <laughs> in the Golden Cadillac or no, anything like I, that. I actually do appreciate, like, the way that in the second half of this, because there's that big moment where where uh, Joe has an opportunity to exercise his escape clause. Mm. But at this point, the he's timing been, is w- really bad. Timing's really, really bad. Um, if he leaves now, they might not get into the pennant because there's one more game to potentially win. Mm. Um, so that's bad. He's also accused of, because he came out of nowhere, they made up this fictional backstory for him. Uh, that's all coming to roost and people are starting to accuse him of maybe being not who he says he is in like some kind of sinister way. Like maybe he was like this uh, uh what, what do you what do you call it this uh, uh this former baseball player who took bribes and maybe he's got this horrible past and he's got to defend himself in court and stuff so he's so he's just distracted and he can't so he misses that deadline and now he's lost his soul that sucks <laughs> it's really sad actually and there's this great bit where he's commiserating with lola who like him lost her soul she is, she is in the devil's thrall and has yeah. been for I think they a few so centuries like, like now. over over a century or something yeah, yeah, a like, long time so so and she's you know she was making the most of it for a long time she enjoyed being sultry because it turned out that uh, when she was mortal uh, I guess she I guess she sold her soul to be like beautiful and alluring mm-hmm. uh, because she she wasn't conventionally so when she was alive um, they commiserate. And they're kind of romantic, and it's oh. kind of sweet. And there's this general sense of, well, shit, we're doomed to hell, but at least we have each other. And that's kind of nice, actually. <laughs> and I was kind of, like, feeling it for a little bit. They have a cute little dance number, and, like, mm-hmm. Tab Hunter's barely in it because he's Tab Hunter. But, like, it's still, it's really cute, actually. Like, in a very in a very endearing kind of way. I and that Tab, Tab Hunter's talent is that he's a good-looking man. Yeah. He's a very charming <laughs> dude. If this was just a straight up baseball movie, he'd probably be 100% fine. 
Oh yeah, like, he's not a bad actor. I got nothing against Stab Hunter. He's just out of his element. He's put up against Gwen Vernon for Christ for Christ's sake. Jesus fucking Christ. We were just talking about how Catherine Zeta Jones is like really great and comes from a theater background. Put her next to Gwen Vernon. <laughs> she's not gonna look great. <laughs> She'll look fine, no, but she's well, Gwen Vernon will dance rings around her. You know? Yeah, like um Olivia Newton John, fine enough dancer. Yeah. A good dancer. F- good enough talent. Yeah. Put her, but, next uh, yeah, you put, her, you put her next to Gene Kelly and Sanadu, and she looks like she's doing a really bad job. This is why because Gene, she's dancing with Gene frickin' Kelly. This is why we were just talking about when we reviewed West Side Story, and we talked about how Ansel Elgort, though he can carry a tune and he kind of has learned the choreography, he's just not on par with anyone else in that cast. And mm-hmm. you're only as good as the weakest person in your cast when you're doing a musical because they're going to stand out. So everyone either has to act down. Uh-huh. Or dance rings around a character and make them look bad. Either way, the problem is casting. Like, mm-hmm. the, everyone's doing the best they can around this, but yeah. the problem is someone said Tab Hunter would be fine at this. He's not. He's out of his element. It's not it, that's not doing him or the movie any favors. Yeah. It's a damn shame, damn Yankees. Um, I don't understand the ending of this movie. I literally don't understand it from a plot perspective. Because the whole thing is... He's going to play the Yankees. They're going to win the pennant. Mm. And Lola, like, drugs Satan. Which you'd, think, right. you'd <laughs> think would be a trick he was he, he would have invented or something. So, like, maybe he'd be onto so, it. And, but yeah, in any she case, talks about, like, instead of giving him one sleeping pill, I gave him two. Okay, yeah. I really gave him four. Like, okay, clearly you're not going to poison Satan with sleeping pills, but... Yeah. You're not going to kill him anyway. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think that's even possible. But like, yeah, you you want to you want to knock the, him out for a while. I maybe it's one of those things where if he's in a human body, he has human. They don't explain that stuff. They do pull a thing where they talk about how like, listen, God is omnipotent and omniscient, and I can barely get around edgewise, which I think is actually a line from the movie Bedazzled, yeah. uh, which has, which actually is very similar to this in a lot of ways. If you've never seen the original Bedazzled with Dudley Moore mm-hmm. and um, Peter Cook. That movie, parts of it have aged poorly. The parts that haven't aged poorly are fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's a very, very funny I, Satan I, movie. I, I admit I still haven't seen the original. I did see the the one from the 90s with Brendan Fraser. Which is cute. Or I guess it was 2000, but yeah. I yeah saw, it's a cute I film. It, I, I, it's, an, it's an okay flick. It's certainly whimsical, mm-hmm. but the original, so many great bits. Uh, but um, <laughs> it's actually a bit that reminds me of the movie Benedetta now that I think about it. But... Uh, <laughs> But uh, in any case... Uh, I don't mind being reminded of Benedetta, but what's your link here? I, I, I won't ruin it for you. All right. um, but uh, in any case, uh, so the whole thing is he's he's going to play the game and win the pennant, and he does. And then he like runs into uh, the locker room and is like magically transformed back into his own self. And I'm like, wait a minute. Didn't you sell your soul to win the pennant? Mm. Shouldn't this just solidify that the devil owns your soul? Why does this help you get out of this? How are you oh, they, they, tricking the devil into getting your well, soul? I don't understand this. Did you get it? Uh, it, it was... The, the devil sort of wanted him, uh, after a while, wasn't interested in... Because the devil actually says at some point that he doesn't care about baseball. Right, I'm with you. He, he cares about this guy, and right. he wants to co- corrupt his soul. But uh, he was interested in winning the pennant. He actually had a goal in mind. Mm-hmm. And if Satan could distract him from his goal, uh-huh. then the devil could take his soul. Right, but he sold his soul to achieve that goal. That was part of the original deal. 
Yeah, well, he's the devil. He's gonna he's gonna go I realize back that, on but it. like but, how, right. but that shouldn't invalidate the contract. That should only solidify the contract. There's a there's here's a great here's a great way to like get around the the this contract thing. It's actually from a, a failed pilot that we reviewed on Cancel Too Soon called Poor Devil. With Sammy Davis Jr. Poor Devil was a TV movie, it was originally intended as a pilot. It's hilarious. Sammy Davis Jr. plays a devil. Not the devil. The devil is played by Christopher, Christopher Lee. Lee. <laughs> if that doesn't sell you on the movie, I don't know what so, else I can tell you. So Sammy Davis Jr., uh, working in hell, has to corrupt some nebbishy guy on yeah. Earth. Um, I think it was uh, Jack Klugman, actually. That's right. It was, it was Jack, Jack He has the corrupt Jack Klugman, and Jack Klugman has an asshole boss played by Adam West. What a cat! Oh my god! What an amazing cast! It's so a good turns, premise. It's a good cast. So he they, works. They, in, can, they can bring it back. It's such a good idea. Anyway, so he so the whole thing is his boss is an asshole, and he thinks his boss is trying to uh, steal his wife. Hmm. That's like the last straw. He's kind of he's easy to run over. He, he he's not like gonna stand up to this. But once he's like after his wife, he's like, okay, fine. I will sell myself to the devil if we can screw this guy over so bad. Hmm. So the idea is they work at a department store. It's Christmas. And so what he says is, I would like to stage a robbery at this store at Christmas. We will steal literally everything in the department store. And Sammy Davis Jr., who doesn't actually have a lot of magical powers. He can, like, pop around, like, teleport. But he can't, like, do incredible things. Mm-hmm. He's like, shit, okay, that's a lot. All right, I need to call in a lot of favors. And, like, a whole bunch of people who sold their souls are just, like, running in and, like, grabbing clothes and jewelry and everything. <laughs> and... um over the course of the evening, Jack Klugman has a change of heart. And he says, no, what I really want you to do, and you're still working for me here, because the deal hasn't been finalized, I want to put everything back. Everything's got to go back. It's got to be like nothing ever happened. Yeah. And Timmy was like, really? I was like, okay, bring it all back, everyone. And they got to do it all super fast, and it's really wacky. At the end of the movie, Jack Klugman feels like really bad about this, because he sold the soul of the devil, but he won't get to see his wife anymore. Like, when she mm. dies, she'll go to heaven. And Sammy Davis right. was like, there's nothing I can do about that. I'm sorry, dude. I, I I like you a lot, but I can't do anything here. And then just when like the deadline for like the, the contract is up, Sammy Davis Jr. gives him one. And what he says is, while we were there at the department store stealing stuff, I gave you a watch from the department store. Dang it. We forgot to take it back. Okay. And that was part of the deal is you want us to take every single thing back. And this invalidates the contract. All right. There's a little loophole. Right. That was exploited, that was kind of clever, kind of mm-hmm. funny. Here, he just does everything that's in the contract, and now suddenly the contract is null. I don't get it. The, the contract isn't you You have to win the pennant. I thought it was. No, the devil just says, I'll I'll make you young, and you go win the pennant. Right, and then he does, but and then, then the why de- does that stop it? Because winning the pennant is not part of the contract. Well, it's not. It's not not part of the contract. It's not like so, if you win the pennant, you don't get to. I don't get to keep your soul. That's not in there. I, I just don't get it. The, the, the I, I they say it in the movie. It's explicit. It's not. There's nothing to be confused about here. The devil says, "I'm not interested in baseball. I'm interested in your soul. I'm interested in corrupting you." And so, and he says, "If I do something that actually is, you know, pure about baseball, it's not about the the fandom or the stardom. Uh-huh. It's about actually winning. If I can actually win, then I'm out, right?" And the devil says, "Sure." They're they're negotiating all the time. I make it, this is a conversation they have in the movie, right? But he's still like using the devil's powers and everything to do it. Well, okay, but he's negotiating. The devil is a negotiator. 
I still think it's I still think it's kind of awkwardly handled, but whatever, we can um, move on. Um, okay. In any case, he gets his he gets his his soul back, and he reunites with his wife, and everything's kind of nice, and that's basically it. Hmm. Um, and the devil stumps his his little foot. And says, oh, you tricked me! And yeah, vanishes in a plume. I don't love this movie, but it's cute. It's 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 a it kind of a trifle. I'm kind of baffled as to its reputation. Mm-hmm. Because it's so lightweight, because it's so silly. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it plays uh, some, better on stage because a lot of the jokes are just kind of there. Like I well, get it; I, they're kind the, of uh, funny, but they're not hilarious. The maybe they're like hilarious uh, on stage. The you gotta have heart number. Um, you're, you're complaining about sort of the the boring choreography or the bad staging of it. Yeah. I think that is what it would be like to watch it on stage. These guys just sort of harmonizing live in front uh-huh. of you, doing very very simple steps and telling gags. It has a little bit more of a, a, a vaudeville quality to mm-hmm. it. A little bit. It, this came out in the fifties, and you know, musical theater had sort of evolved past a lot of those early mm-hmm. review musicals. Well, like, and, and movies, like cool and movies but, uh, had found a way to like stage mm-hmm. musical numbers in ways that were a little bit more cinematic than this. A lot of these are just locked down. Yeah. yeah. Look at that. And when you're looking at Gwen Verdon and Bob Fosse, like the Bob Fosse, you want it locked down. You want it locked down. I don't need it. They they that, they don't need any pep. They don't need anything mm-hmm. fancy here. Some of the numbers just look kind of cheap. Hmm. And I don't think that's the vibe <laughs> you're going for. I can imagine it is. Well, there's something uh, charming for, you know, low rent, looking a little bit amateurish. Um, and you think that was the vibe they're going yeah, for? Yeah, absolutely it was. Okay. Um, uh, again, I'm, I'm always loath to bring up his films, but Woody Allen did this in a movie uh, called Everyone Says I Love You. Yeah. Uh, where there are actually some professional singers on that cast, but uh, they sing a lot of old standards in that movie, and they were instructed to sing below their level. They had to be a little bit more organic. The choreography was deliberately a little bit shabby because it needed to feel a little bit more uh, sincere. That was the goal of a movie like that. And I think that's kind of what they're going out with something like Damn Yankees. It has to be a little bit lo-fi to communicate the comedy of it. If you make it big, you're making a big Broadway number and you're going to be losing a lot of the comedy. I don't need gigantic... I, but I would I would argue I would argue right. let me live with this, with this. Let, me, right. let me compare it to another comedic number okay mm. let's look at make him laugh from singing in the rain all right okay that's a number that's basically just one guy singing on a soundstage that's yeah that's it's, that's about the the physical comedy it's about physical comedy and it is about the, yeah whatever but the whole thing is that they f- they film it in such a way where the the environment that he's in is kind of interesting to look at the camera actually like doesn't just like sit down and lock off and say go for it. The camera actually like knows what to look at and when to cut. Um, mm. I mean it's a, it's a more vivacious number. I'll grant you, it's not a perfect comparison, but I'm looking at that and like that's a relatively well, me, simple uh, staging, but like you can make it look nicer. Let me let me compare it to um, uh, another comedy musical comedy. Okay, uh, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Stephen okay. Sondheim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rest in peace, Stephen Sondheim. Indeed. Um, that that's that's all of the numbers are comedic. Uh, that's just a big, broad, yeah, funny, much, yeah. funny comedy show. It's I've only uh, seen the movie, but yeah, it's it, I love that movie. It's <laughs> it's, funny movie. It's, it's, like Richard it. Richard Lester directed as Zero Mostel. Zero Mostel wasn't a, a dancing guy. No. <laughs> he didn't. He wasn't known for his virtuosic dancing. He was known for his brilliant comedy. And you put him, and you put people like Phil Silvers. These like. Mm old Borscht Belt comedian dudes. Yeah. They're not dancing and they're not even singing mm-hmm. like to like a virtuosic Broadway degrees. They're s- selling you on sort of the, the 
the shabbiness of their well, performance. They're selling they're, on the comedy. Like, yeah. Zero Mostello is actually like, I mean, I granted they're, this is the gimmick from the play, but he's like breaking the fourth wall and talking to the camera. They're, it's a playful number. Yeah, that's, I don't, that's I don't think you gotta have artists presented playfully except that we're not trying very hard. But they're, they're clearly these kind of broad uh, Lou Costello uh, character types. Lou, Lou Costello and Bud Abbott actually told jokes and stuff. Yeah, these guys are are being funny. Are they? Yes. I'm well, not convinced. Well, uh, clearly you didn't find it funny. I didn't but find it, it funny. Com- it is a comedic number. I know it's a comedic number. That's my point is I didn't find it funny. I'm trying okay, to articulate well, that's, why. That, that's that's just a matter of taste then, isn't it? Of course it, it is. But I, it, it, as I, critics, it's our job to explain how right. we why our taste is the way it is right. and why we something we like is likable to us mm-hmm. and vice versa. You, you, you didn't like, like sort of that, that relaxed attitude toward that particular number. And, and I, I can appreciate that, but I, I, I there's can relaxed get... and then, then there's just kind of like amateurish. Like it just, <laughs> and, and I hate to use that with all these Titans of whatever, but like there's something about it that just came across as like a little lazy, especially once you're tra- moving into this, to the screen where you have a few more options for things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't. You, again, you, you I, could you could have even played it off like they're doing like an actual like barber shop number, you know, and actually have them like act more like a barber shop quartet rather than just three guys standing at attention. Mm-hmm. You know, I just I just find it kind of boringly presented, but it's fine. It's I, okay. we we spoke we've given it way more energy than I ever intended to. Well, no, I think I think it's important to sort of analyze these things. Mm. Uh, and again, I I don't I don't adore this film. I think it's fun and funny and mm. and light. And no, I'm happy I've seen it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like something I can kind of store in the back of my memory rather than you know, sell as one of the great uh, movie musicals of the 1950s. It's one of those movies for me where the real movie is the supporting performances. Mm. Uh, Tab Hunters hold. I mean, I, again, they cut out some songs maybe that helps the protagonists feel like more of a journey, but he's not an interesting protagonist at all. He's just gone after a while. So basically, you're there for Ray Walston, and then. Once Gwen Verdon shows up, you can't look at anything else. Yeah, yeah. when she's on screen, unless Bob Fosse's there with her, you can't see well, anyone else around. Bob Fosse, you're you're still staring at both of them. Yeah, they do this number where they like. I'm not sure if you ever did the trust exercise where you link yeah. elbows with somebody back oh to back, and you, God, you kind of have one. to walk up. And somehow they managed to do that like as if they were trying to go under a limbo bar that was like nine inches off the I ground. Don't understand how they. And they're like back to back and their shoulders are touching and their feet are touching the ground and somehow their feet have unhinged. Yeah. It, it's, it's magic. Yeah. What some of the, <laughs> I refuse to believe that anything is going on in that number other than magic. I don't think there are any wires involved. I don't think there was any special effects trickery. I don't even think they practiced really hard. I think it's just magic. And if this movie exists for no other reason... It gives us that number with Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon. And if you don't see the movie, fine. Do yourself a favor and find a clip of that. Mm. Uh, what was it called again? It was like, bring on the pain or something. Or... <laughs> <laughs> but bring on the pain, performed by Randy Macho Man Savage. <laughs> no, what was it called? Uh, uh, there was something pain. It's called Who's Got the Pain. Who's Got the Pain. Weird, weird name for the song. Uh, but regardless, watch watch that. You will be so happy you did. It's such it's absolute joy. Um, so yeah, that's damn Yankees. Um, thank you everybody for who voted. Um, I think some of the people who voted kind of voted ironically. I don't think this movie maybe has the fan base it used to. 
this was a close one across all four titles this, this is, time. Yeah, there wasn't was, one single runaway winner. It was like yeah. almost a, de- a dead heat. Usually it's just one or two that like get a lot of votes, uh, and like mm-hmm. there's a couple which is like, ah, just people weren't feeling it, which is fine. But like, yeah, this was this was closer than usual, mm-hmm. which is always kind of fun. Uh, next time on Critically Reclaimed, we're going to be heading on over to Shutter. Because it's Christmas and we like counter programming, <laughs> uh, we are going to be uh, t- basically we're just picking anything we want from Shutter. Shutter mm. is uh, a streaming service that focuses predominantly on horror, but they do have some also some exploitation cinema, some action and sci-fi on there as well. Yeah. Um, you know, some crime movies, that kind of thing. Um, they're they're pretty darn well curated they're very well curated there's a few you know some things i like more than others and whitney and i've seen a lot of the prominent stuff on there but you know there's always something and we haven't gone back there in a little bit so uh the the nominees for next critically acclaimed reclaimed did i, what I, I you said, said you said acclaimed. I, the nominees are next critically reclaimed and again you can vote at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network every single tier gets to vote for critically reclaimed even one dollar a month uh the nominees are The Devil Times Five, which you know those movies about like a killer kid, like The Good Son. This time there's five, five of them. Oh my god! Some of the, I think it's from the seventies. Um, I've heard amazing things. Uh, let's see, Maniac Cop, uh, which is about an evil cop, and Bruce Campbell gets framed for all the evil cop stuff that he does. Uh, and the evil cop is played by Robert Zadar. The great and powerful the, the and late, dearly lamented. The late, great Robert Zadar. Oh my God, Robert Zadar. Amazing. Uh, from the, uh, directed by uh, uh, cult film uh, luminary William Lustig, who also did the movie Maniac. No relation other than Which, they both take place in New York. <laughs> uh, let's see what we got here. We got Switchblade Sisters. Uh, which is a juvenile delinquent film about a rough-and-tumble gang of all-female teenage criminals. Uh, and in the end, there's like a big riot sequence, and they have a tank. <laughs> That's all I'll say. Uh, and then lastly, uh, because it is it is the holidays, we thought we'd throw one in. Uh, there is a Christmas slasher from, I think, 1980-ish called To All a Good Night, which is about uh, a bunch of people at a college being killed by someone dressed as Santa Claus. And that's all the plot you needed back then. <laughs> you didn't need any more Look, than that. It's enough. As, as I stayed frequently on this show, plot is a lot less important than people give it credit for. Yeah. Plot plot is just there to sort of string together the important things in a film, which is things like character and yeah. interesting moments and dramatic beats. I think there's a few noteworthy exceptions, but 99% of the time you're right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, in any case, we're, we're here to, we're here to be entertained. We're here to be dazzled. We're here to, we're here to think mm. we're here to feel. And if a plot can get you there, cool. And if a plot is incidental to that journey, also fine. <laughs> uh, but in any case, those are the nominees for next time on critically reclaimed. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, feel free to subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, and again, uh, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We have a lot of exclusive shows over there. Uh, we were behind on our Oscars show, and we're going to do that uh, before the end of the month. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, we're we're been, feel really bad about up. that. I, uh, that means a lot to us. I um, did just today watch uh, the Oxbow Incident. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that uh, movie and, with and you because we'll, I've we'll, never seen it before. We'll, we'll talk about that movie. It was my yeah. first time. Yeah, so. uh, but uh, yeah, we're reviewing every single uh, nominee for Best Picture in history that's going on over there. We also have a show we're reviewing every single 1960s Batman, every single episode of Star Trek ever. We got more stuff going on besides. We have a uh, online. Hang out with our patrons uh, scheduled for next week. 
Uh, so thank you to all of them. We're looking forward to that, having a nice holiday get-together. Um, and, uh, yeah, of course, we're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. If you want to talk about anything we discussed on this episode, or anything at all, really, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of our podcast, We've Got Mail, right here on the Critically Acclaimed Network. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Uh, send us a physical letter at the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Uh, we still have plenty of soaps at the Salt Cat Soap Etsy store. It's the Etsy store I run with my partner, M. Lapis da Silva. Uh, check it out. We we make and design uh, our own handcrafted soaps. Uh, that's on various social medias at Salt Cat Soap, all one word. And you got like Christmas soaps, yeah? We do. We I designed a peppermint bark Christmas soap, which okay. is quite nice. <laughs> uh, Michelle designed, I think we just sold out, unfortunately. I don't want to be too much of a tease, but these wonderful frozen scene bars where mm. it looks like a Christmas tree and presents were like frozen into a glacier. It's, it's a, yeah, like a snow globe bar soap. It's really cool. It's limited run. We might have run out already by the time this goes mm. live, but they're really neat. Um, but yeah, we do we do other holiday soaps there if that's what you're bad. But we also have a lot of other, uh, you know, all year round soaps. I was about to say evergreen, but that would just make it sound like Christmas again. Um, but uh, yeah, please check it out. Thank you everybody who already has. The reviews have been really wonderful. We really appreciate it. And I, don't forget that Whitney has radio dramas. I, I do. I just made a Christmas show uh, I, and I freedkinned it. Uh, where, where I released it and then I I, did, I listened to it and thought no no I need to change it so I released a second version. Oh man! Um, but uh, yeah, I I wrote and uh, and directed a Christmas radio drama. It's about twenty two minutes in length. Uh, the title is "She Began to Dance Around," and it is about a woman who is stalking Frosty the Snowman in her car uh, <laughs> for nefarious purposes. Uh, it stars a, a good friend of mine, uh, Chelsea Spirito, who is a complete genius and uh, just acted the heck out of it. Uh, and yeah, if you want to buy one, for well, it's available to our $20 patrons. Yeah, for no for, additional For cost. no additional charge. Yeah. But if you want to buy one, uh, contact me via any of the social medias you see me on. Yeah. Uh, it can be on the Twitters or the Instagrams. And yeah, you can Venmo me and I'll send mm-hmm. you an MP3. And Whitney has, what do you have, three other radio shows? And there are three others yeah. besides. He, Whitney which, has uh, produced three other independently produced radio full, dramas. Full cast, music, sound effects, all the rest. Yeah, yeah. so if you want to get the whole package, we might be able to give you a deal. But if you're just interested in one, you can do that too. So find them on social media at Whitney Seibold, mm-hmm. W-I-T-N-E-Y-S-E-I-B-O-L-D. Uh, and they're great. I hope you enjoy them because everyone else seems <laughs> they're, to. They're uh, they're 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 a bit silly, and uh, yes, but they that's, know. that's the way I make them. So. Yeah, they they would be surprised if they weren't. Well, I assure you, one of them has like no supernatural elements whatsoever. It's not about supernatural. So. It's just you have a quirky view of life, don't you? Yeah, well, one of it. one of them is called Love It Nana, and it's just a conversation between a teenager and a suburban mom in a counterculture store in 1991 Los Angeles, and that's just sort of this sweet talk and there's a romantic element to that one right but it's still quirky i, I suppose yeah, you got a vibe <laughs> anyway that's it for critically reclaimed thank you everybody once again for listening uh goodbye <laughs>